have the feeling that all your work, all your efforts is for nothing, that everything you labor for is meaningless, pointless, no real purpose. Perhaps you work all the hours and feel like you're getting nowhere and it just leaves you feeling exhausted and anxious. You know, it's a common experience and I have to confess, I felt that myself at times. You know, laboring in vain is a depressing prospect, isn't it? No one wants their work to be in vain. So how can we avoid that? Well, Psalm 127 gives us some insight and it comes at the halfway point in the Psalms of Ascent. So perhaps this is a good time for us pilgrims to make any mid-course adjustments to our journey through life. So if you'd like to turn with me to Psalm 127 and perhaps keep your Bibles open so we can refer to it together. Psalm 127, a song of ascents of Solomon. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. Let me just comment on that before we read the second half of the psalm. God gives his beloved children sleep. Sleep is a gift from God. But how well do you sleep? You know, so many people don't sleep well at all, and so often it's because of anxiety, you know, worrying about the things we've got to get done or fretting about the things we can't fix. Does that describe you? Have you ever thought about why God gives us sleep? I mean, think about it. The average person spends about a third of their lives sleeping. I mean, he could have designed us to need no sleep or less sleep so we could be more productive. How many times have you said there are just aren't enough hours in the day? So why is sleep a gift? Surely one reason is so that we will trust God and rely on him rather than ourselves. I like John Piper's quote, God can accomplish more good for those who trust him while they sleep than they can accomplish with anxious labor while awake. God wants us to lay down our heads at night and hand over all our concerns and all of our cares to him, trusting that he will take care of us, that he is watching over us. And even as we sleep, he is working on our behalf. That's why the psalmist is saying, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. He's not saying there that we shouldn't work hard. Neither is he saying we don't need to work at all, right? This isn't the case of let go and let God. This is about trusting God in our work, trusting God with our work, trusting God for the outcome. It means relying on him and not ourselves. Otherwise, we'll work all the hours we can in anxious toil and end up wearing ourselves out. We will labor in vain. Does that describe you? If you're watching this in a small group, just raise your hand if this is something you struggle with. Okay, well, why not just take five minutes to pray for those folks right now. Pray that God will help you to cast all your cares on him and to trust him for what needs to get done. Listen, God loves you and he wants you to enjoy the sleep of the beloved, right? Good, restful, refreshing, sleep. So just pause right now and pray. Okay, let's read the second half of the psalm. Behold, sons are a heritage from the Lord. 
the fruit of the womb a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. Now, how is that connected to the first half of the psalm? And what about singles or couples who don't have children or can't have children? Do they miss out on this heritage and reward? Is this just aimed at families or is this blessing something we can all enjoy? Before we look at that, let me just tell you the story of a man which helps to illustrate some of this. The man's name is George Bowen and he started his journey in life as a skeptical New Englander but became one of the great missionaries of the 19th century. Born in Vermont in 1816, Bowen rejected Christianity when he was in his teens. But then in his late 20s, he came to faith. He went to seminary and ended up going to Mumbai, India, where he labored to serve the Indian people and share the love of Christ with them for the rest of his life. He was different to the other missionaries who tended to live on compounds in relative luxury. Bowen chose to give up his mission support. He embraced poverty to live with the native people. He dressed as they dressed, sometimes just existing on bread and water. They were his family and he spent 40 years sharing his life and the gospel of Jesus Christ with them. And yet, after 40 plus years in this labor of love, Bowen did not see one single convert, not one. He felt he was a complete failure, that it had all been for nothing. He wrote, I'm the most useless being in the church. God bruises and crushes me with disappointments. He builds me up, then permits me to fall back to nothing. I would like to sit with Job and sympathize with Elijah. My labor has all been in vain. He's not the first person who has said my labor has all been in vain, and nor will he be the last. You know, it's so easy to fall into that valley of despair. Maybe you're there right now. And yet it was after Bowen's death that the mission societies discovered that he was one of the most beloved missionaries in India. Even devout Hindus looked to Bowen as the example of what a true Christian is. And the life he lived prepared the hearts of many to respond to Jesus. Bowen sowed the seed, others watered, but God gave the increase and eventually a church was even built in his memory. What's more, over the years, his example has influenced many spiritual sons and daughters. In fact, his quiver is full of them, including David Wilkerson, best known for his ministry among the drug addicts and gangs of New York City in the 60s and 70s. Wilkerson wrote, his life was a powerful example and his book, Love Revealed, is one of the greatest books on Christ I've ever read. Today, George Bowen's humble life and powerful words still inflame my soul and the souls of others worldwide. George Bowen's labor was not in vain because ultimately it wasn't about his work. It was the Lord's work. It was what God was doing in him and through him in the lives of others, a work that continued on after Bowen died. And that's really what this psalm is all about. It's about the Lord's work. 
Now, when you read sermons and commentaries on Psalm 127, so often they focus on our work and our families. And the messages are often disjointed. So some people preach on the first half of the psalm about work, like I studied to at the beginning of my message. Others preach on the second half of the psalm about families and having lots of children. You may have heard messages like that. And it's not that they're wrong. You know, I've heard great messages on both and been helped. But is that what the psalmist originally intended? Is that really what this is about? Because I think we're looking at this all wrong. I think ultimately this is about God's work and God's family. It's about God's house and God's household in which we are all his children. Now to see that and to understand how this applies today, we need to consider who originally wrote this because it gives us a clue. And we're told that the psalm is of Solomon. It's actually one of two psalms that he wrote. And if it's Solomon writing about building a house, then what house is he talking about? It's not just any old house. What is Solomon known for? It was building a magnificent temple in the city of Jerusalem, the house of God. It was his father, King David, who in 2 Samuel 7 originally spoke of his intention to build this house for God to dwell in. And at the same time, God made a covenant with David and said, I will make you a house, which was referring to his dynasty, the house of David, where God said to him, I will establish the throne of your kingdom forever. And of course, Solomon was the first son in that dynasty. So when Solomon wrote, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain, the house he's referring to probably includes both aspects. The house he built for God and the house of David. But when you read the story of God's people, it soon becomes clear that in spite of Solomon's wisdom in this psalm, they were in fact laboring in vain because they didn't trust in the Lord. They trusted in their own strength. Instead of looking to God, they abandoned his ways. And so God allowed the city of Jerusalem and the temple to be destroyed by the Babylonians. It was a painful lesson. They should have listened to Solomon when he wrote, Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. So God's people ended up in exile in Babylon for many years until God called his people back to their homeland to rebuild his house and to rebuild their city. And this psalm is one of the songs that it's believed the Israelites would have sung on their journey home. And it would have reminded the Israelites that as they began the rebuilding work, that unlike their fathers, they needed to trust in the Lord and rely on him. Because apart from God, all of their labor would be in vain. But what about the second half of the psalm that talks about sons being a reward and a heritage from the Lord, like arrows in the hands of a warrior? Many of our modern translations use the word children, not sons. So people preach from this passage on children being a blessing. But the original Hebrew word is ben, which means sons. And sons were important in that culture because they guaranteed the continuation of the family line and they provided security and protection for their parents and families. Which is why the psalmist says, blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame 
when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. But remember, this is written by Solomon, the son of David. And so surely there is also a connection here to the house of David, to the future sons of David, the kings of Judah who were to sit on his throne as God had promised and who would ensure the continuance of his kingdom. And yet, when you read their story in the book of Kings, you will know that their failure to trust in the Lord meant that most of those kings were not a blessing. Instead of being arrows in the hands of a warrior, they were arrows that missed the mark and went astray. But as James Hamilton Jr. says about the house of David in his commentary, he says, the line of descent marches straight down to Jesus. You see, Jesus was the final eternal king, the ultimate son of David. He was the true arrow that found its mark. He is the only begotten son who is our reward and our inheritance. He is the one that Psalm 127 is ultimately pointing to because the house of God and the house of David, it all leads to Jesus. As I said earlier, this is all about his work and not ours. And Jesus is the one who said, I will build my church. And what is the church? It's the house of God, as we've already heard in this series. We are the dwelling place of God now. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit, a temple not built of stone like in Solomon's day, but built with people, living stones. That's why in Ephesians 2.19, it says that we are members of the household of God. We are his family. In Christ, we are all his sons, in the sense that we all get to share in his inheritance, both sons and daughters. And we shall not be put to shame when we face our spiritual enemies in the gate, because as it says in Psalm 110, they have all been put under the feet of Jesus, the firstborn son. He said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against her. Can you see, it's all his work a work that he continues today through his growing family, the church. And so what does this mean for us? There's a verse in 1 Corinthians 15 that I think gives us a clue. And it's where the Apostle Paul says, Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labour in the Lord is not in vain. And it seems to be a reference to Psalm 127. As I said at the start, no one wants their work or the labour of their lives to be in vain. So how can we avoid that? There is a sense in which all of our work, you know, whether parenting, teaching, building, plumbing, buying, selling, uh, nursing, painting, engineering, accounting, cleaning, whatever it is, if it's done unto the Lord, to the glory of God, then it will never be in vain. It's all meaningful and valuable because it's part of our worship to him. But what this verse is saying, which I think is reflected in Psalm 127, is that our labour will never be in vain when we're engaging in the work of the Lord. So what is the work of the Lord? Surely it's centred around people. It's Jesus building his church, which is people. 
is Jesus touching people's lives as he reveals his love to them, transforming them uh, through his word and spirit, bringing them into the household of God, adding them to his growing family that we belong to, a family who are all pilgrims in this world, traveling together through life to the new heavens and new earth, in the midst of which will be this glorious church, people from every nation, tribe and tongue with Christ at the center. And so when we consider the work of the Lord, surely the most important work that we can be engaged in has to do with people, our relationships with one another and with those he's seeking to bring into his family. Listen to Eugene Peterson commenting on his message translation of Psalm 127. People are at the center of Christian work. The character of our work is shaped not by accomplishments or possessions, but in the birth of relationships. For children are God's best gift. We invest our energy in people. Among those around us, we develop sons and daughters, sisters and brothers, even as our Lord did with us. Oh, how blessed are you parents with your quivers full of children, he says from Psalm 127. As children of God, we are all arrows in his quiver. As St. Augustine said, we are arrows in the hand of the mighty one, shot out into all the earth. We've been sent into enemy territory to make disciples. And it doesn't have to be anywhere far off like Mumbai. I mean, it might be for some, but we've all been sent to our neighborhoods and cities, to our homes and workplaces, sent to bless those around us, to love and to serve and to do good. Who is God sending you to? Who are you investing your energy in? Because God wants to give us all a quiver full of arrows. He wants to give us spiritual children. They might be in the church right now, or they may be friends or work colleagues of yours who haven't come to faith yet. We just sent two precious arrows out a couple of weeks ago. Alka and Bev, who have gone to do the Lord's work in the Netherlands. And many of us here have been involved in blessing them, praying for them, encouraging them, teaching them, and so on. We are all their spiritual parents. And that relationship doesn't end now that they're gone. Let's continue to pray for them and encourage them. Because, you know, arrows can still miss the mark. Arrows can get damaged if we don't take care of them. And I know that our leadership team has a major responsibility in that. But actually, we all do, because they are part of our family. Listen, God wants to give every one of us spiritual children. That's why it doesn't matter if you're single or married, whether or not you have your own children, or whether you have family. Because in Christ, we are all precious members of God's family. And so we can all participate in the Lord's work and experience his blessing by investing ourselves in others. You know, as I look back on almost 40 years in the church, I can see how the Lord has been working, mostly in me, but also in those I've been in relationship with. And I'm not talking about my work uh, as a pastor, but from the first day I became a member of the church, I was in a community group where we prayed for one another and encouraged one another in the Lord. And for many years now, I've been helped in my own journey by my fellow travelers. And we all need that. 
As Ray mentioned in her message last week, God gives us fellow pilgrims for the journey. It's why the writer to the Hebrews says this. He says, and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. He's not just talking there about church meetings that we attend, but a family who care for one another, who spur one another on, which is why some form of small group community is so important, so that relationships can be formed and can develop. And it's our investment in those relationships that is a major way in which we can give ourselves to the work of the Lord. Sometimes it feels like work, I know, but it's a labor of love. And some of us might look back and wonder if there's any, been any real fruit. You know, I've wondered that myself. As I said earlier, it's so easy to get discouraged, like George Bowen. But we need to remember that it's the Lord's work and we don't always see what he's doing. Sometimes, though, he'll give us just a little insight, just a little encouragement for the journey. In fact, I recently received messages from two different people who had tracked me down to thank me for my encouragement to them in the past. The first was someone I crossed paths with probably 25 years ago, and he thanked me for some things that I'd said that were instrumental in him coming to faith. The other man was over 30 years ago from my workplace when I was working in graphic design, and he was thanking me for believing in him, giving him a chance, and how instrumental that was in his life journey. If I'm honest, I can barely remember either of them, but I'm so thankful to know how the Lord was at work. You know, we don't realize the effect that our lives have on others, how God is at work through our words, and our actions, and even the smallest acts of kindness. Through every prayer, every time we turned up to community group, every time we listened. But one day, when we reach our journey's end, in the new heavens and new earth, I think we'll be surprised, as I'm sure George Bowen will be, with how many arrows we had in our quiver. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Be all in. and Don't give up. Don't despair when you don't see any fruit or when relationships are hard going because Jesus is at work and so your labor will not be in vain. God bless you this week.